This morning, if you're joining with us for the first time, or if you've missed a few Sundays in a row, um, we are in the midst of this series in the book of Acts that we've called Exponential, and today we're going to turn to Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 3, verses 11 to 26, and um, you might remember from last week, uh, the Apostle Peter has has just uh, healed this man of the temple gate in Jesus' name. This man who was uh, uh, born lame from, from the, the very first breath of his life. But this morning, we're now going to pick off where we left off, pick up where we left off last week, where Peter and John are suddenly um, overwhelmed by this crowd who has watched this miracle take place. And so um, we're going to read chapter 3, verses 11 through 26. Let's hear now God's word for our lives. While he clung to Peter and John, that being the man who received the miracle, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one. You asked for a murderer to be granted for you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as also did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore. Turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets And of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. So last week I opened up an article from Time magazine and the headline caught my eye. I said, you now have a shorter attention span than a goldfish. And I thought, how dare you? And then I quickly moved on to the next webpage. (laughs) No, but apparently it's true. Microsoft founded a a study using an EEG with over 2,000 participants. And after a series of tests, they found that our ability to focus shifted from just 12 seconds years ago to now 8 seconds today. I'll admit it's probably the preacher in me, but I've always been fascinated with that concept. You have just eight seconds. You know, our lives are so distracted. How do we focus back in on what truly matters in life? 
In our lesson, though, Peter and John have already had all the groundwork laid for them, right? There was not one person in that crowd who wasn't full on with ears up that day. They were awestruck. Their attention had never been so sharpened. A man lame from birth, 40 some odd years old, had somehow stood up in an instant and for the first time with their own eyes, they watched him walk. Just imagine, day after day, the same lame beggar is brought to this temple gate. And as our passage said last week, they laid him there. We don't know who. And all day long, his full-time job was literally to beg for survival. As Brian shared so well last Sunday, it was the same pattern over and over again. The, the faithful would file into the temple courts for this hour of prayer. And on their way, in this act of piety, they would drop alms in his bucket as an outward sign of God's grace. So it was 3 p.m., the ninth hour of prayer. Peter and John go walking by this guy just like everyone else that day. They see him seated there, but they have no money. Instead, Peter tells this beggar, I've got something much greater. Rise up and walk. Just put yourself as a spectator in that crowd. God's word tells us that the people were filled with wonder. The ordinary had somehow been transformed. Your eyes see it, but your mind needs to now somehow catch up. And so this morning we find this same man now, we're told, clinging to Peter and John. The three have gone back together to this place called Solomon's Porch in the temple courts. But there's really no time to even process what's happened because a multitude has already formed around them. And there's an electricity in the air that's now palpable. God's word tells us the people ran together to the feet of these apostles. They wanted to know what in the world was that? So now Peter, for a second time in the book of Acts, he raises his voice to address this Jerusalem crowd. Look again with me at verse 12. He says, men of Israel, what are you staring at? Do you really think as though by our own power or piety, it was us who made him walk. And from that opening word, Peter now draws this crowd to the gospel, really in, in a way no man or woman had ever heard before. And here's how he does this. I want to frame our time like this. He says, now that we've got your attention, what you need to know is this miracle is actually about the authenticity and the authority of Jesus Christ. And if you want to understand this miracle, we need to do three things. First, he tells these Israelites, you need to go back to your roots. Second, he then tells them, you need to leave the false roots that you've been clinging to so tightly in order to do that. And third, what you really need to do is return to your roots in Jesus Christ. So those are the three things we're going to look at together this morning. Let's start here. To understand this miracle, you need to return to your roots. You ever been in a restaurant when a plate drops in the back of the kitchen and for everyone, for some reason, everyone freezes in place, right? You know, I've always wondered, why is it that we give this moment of silence for that shattered dish? There's something about that noise, right? It's, it's such an odd phenomenon. The, the entire place knows exactly what happened. We've, we've heard it many times before, but the sound stops us, doesn't it? It grabs our attention, Brian and I were comparing notes on this earlier this week, and it's almost as if this miracle does that exact thing. It puts everyone on edge, right? They're kind of in shock. They want to know, what was this noise? They watched it firsthand. 
The walls of that temple could talk. This was no private undertaking. Everyone knows the miraculous has just taken place. But it's almost as if this beggar, he, he now clings to the apostles, and in so doing, he personifies the crowd. They are all clinging to Peter and John. They, they want to know, like, how do we get a piece of this miracle pie? But before anyone can speak, Peter shuts the crowd down. You know, in a, me, in, a, in a me-oriented culture, this should shock us, right? He doesn't take any credit for himself. He says, time out. You think somehow in my piety or my power I made this happen? No, no, no. You saw the miracle, certainly, but you've got it all wrong. Look again, verse 13. He says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and of Jacob and our fathers, he's the one responsible Go back to your roots. And this is masterful. Notice this. Instead of talking about the miracle right away, which is what everybody's come to see and hear about, Peter's going to talk exclusively about the miracle worker. He says, the father glorified his servant Jesus. You acted in ignorance. But what God foretold by the prophets, he has now fulfilled. See, there is this common misunderstanding among Israel, right? There is this distraction among God's people, and that is that in all of God's word, they misplaced the main character. The main event of the Old Testament was always going to be Jesus Christ, and yet few saw it. Peter said, you've lost your roots. It reminds me in the, of that passage in Luke 4 where Jesus walks into the temple. He unrolls the scroll of Isaiah of old, right? And he reads it aloud to the church. Look at this again. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and told the church, today that scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. See, what Jesus wanted the church to know, what Peter wants this crowd to know, is the entire story of God's word is one grand love narrative pointing us to Christ. But they missed it. They were chewing on the wrong thing. Just sit with this for a minute with me. You know, I think the temptation of the church still today is to lose the very basic story of Jesus Christ, is it not? To lose the gospel message. You know, we've learned from an early age to look the part and to go through the motions. The crowd that Peter spoke to, they knew every step of the religious dance. They're offering alms on the way into the temple at the hour of prayer. Everything about them looks the part. By all appearances, the church is being the church except they missed the main thing. Can I just take you back to your roots for a minute? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Where have you forgotten or misplaced those roots? Now, Peter now takes this crowd all the way back to Exodus 3, right? When Moses was standing at the burning bush, all of them knew the story. It was the Sunday school lesson of Sunday school lessons. It's one of the most famous stories in all of Jerusalem. And Peter says that same God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were the words he used. That God who saved us from Egypt, he has now saved us from the consequences of our sin in his son Jesus. But in your ignorance, you killed him. 
Now you talk about a bold thing. The crowd came hoping for another miracle and now Peter's throwing bombs. I wonder how often we miss what God is doing in our lives because we, we failed to slow down and to abide in the roots of his word to us. You know, I think it's so easy to get caught into these, these paths of assumptions of who Jesus is, of assuming we know what God is doing when we haven't even opened the Bible in weeks. This crowd is so busy going through the motions. They're so preoccupied and set in the ways, too caught up in their own narrative. They, they couldn't even comprehend what God had just done for them. And yet for centuries, God had foretold of his Messiah over and over again. The great banyan tree in Calcutta, India is over 250 years old covers an acreage of 3.5 acres of land. And at first look, it, it's like a mini forest, 3,600 trees. But what makes this tree so famous is that under the surface, it's actually one aerial root shooting up thousands of times from the forest floor. And I feel like that's the kind of image Peter's trying to give to this crowd. He says, from the roots of our faith, we've known the coming of Christ over and over and over again, and yet you've chopped the tree down. Again, verse 22, look at this. He now takes them all the way back to Deuteronomy 18. Again, this might be news to us. The original audience knew this story full well. It was the moment where Moses told God's people, God's going to raise up for you a prophet just like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not will be destroyed from the people. He goes on to tell them all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel on, they all foretold of these days. You know, I'm in the weeds, I know, but just sit with, this, with me for a minute. If pious Jews praying multiple times a day, giving their alms in the temple courts, if the faithful missed it, what could we be missing? You saw the Super Bowl ad, He Gets Us, a few weeks ago. Did you see that ad? And certainly you're familiar with that movement. You know, I love how these creative minds are, are working to get Jesus into places in a unique way. And um, a lot of good fruit is being born from this movement. So please don't hear this as hypercritical. Think more of it as me thinking out loud. But as I watched that commercial in that setting, it hit me. What do we mean by he gets us? And why does that matter? Like, did Jesus really come so that he could better understand us? This all-knowing, all-sufficient God whose image I am made in, did he really send his son so that he could better understand the creation that he made so that he could get me? Or did he come for something more? If you've ever been in a car accident or drowning in a river, did you want someone to come up to you and say to you, I understand what you're going through right now? Did we miss it? See, this is my point, right? We're all guilty of the same thing, all of us. We make Jesus into someone we want him to be instead of who he truly is. Could it be that Jesus didn't come to make me feel better so that he might understand me? No, 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 he came to save us. That's his mission statement. I take, came to seek and save that which was lost. See, and it's on that note, Peter now shifts the message, right? He tells the crowd, this is point two, the roots that you've been clinging to are the wrong roots. Bernard Ebers uh, was the former CEO of WorldCom. You might remember his story years ago. 
He was tried and convicted for an $11 billion accounting scheme of all things. Destroyed not only his company, but also thousands of lives. I think it was the biggest bankruptcy in history. But on the day of sentencing, um, Eber's lawyer stood up to defend his client. And he told this judge, he said, we've got to give this man some kind of leniency. He's, he's had countless of good deeds in his 60 years of life. Charitable gifts and philanthropy that no one had known about. He handed the court 169 letters, handwritten of character reference. He said to the judge, he said, this man has an unblemished record. That has to count for something. In the end, the judge disagreed and he sentenced Ebers to 25 years, essentially the rest of his life in prison. See, Peter's aim in this one sermon was to get Israel to see that what they were resting in was the wrong roots. To be the offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that was not enough to save them. To, to rest in that reputation and their cultural identity on, on living out the law to the fullest, their devotion as God's people, it was all to rest in futility. Peter says, I could never, I could never pull off that miracle and my own power or my own piety any more than you could pull off your salvation by yours. You cannot claim God's covenant promise while rejecting the Messiah. You know, I think for many years as a nation, um, when it came to our understanding of faith, we defined ourselves by the church we went to. If you look at the history books, they call it the age of Christendom. It seemed like everyone went to church, right? The main lines ruled the day. Are you Methodist? Are you Episcopalian, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Baptist? You know, today, nearly every one of those denominations is in decline. And I wonder, there's probably many reasons for this, but could it be that we've come to rest more on our church affiliations than on the one who established the church in the first place? And here's why I say this, right? I know that's kind of a, an odd claim, but um, just consider your testimony for a minute. If you were to share what Jesus has done in your life, what's easier to talk about? Jesus and how he saved me from my, my sin and the shame and the guilt of my past? Or is it easier to talk about the church I went to growing up and the ministries I was a part of, the circles that I ran in? In a recent Barna poll, they found that just 5% of Christians say they feel comfortable sharing their faith in Christ. Just 5% of us. And the reason why is we've been conditioned to talk about anything but Christ, Right? What are the three topics that are off limits at any dinner table? Politics, money, and faith. Which really brings me to my last point, and that is that the roots that we all need to return to are those of Jesus Christ. Peter wants this curious crowd to understand you're not as pious as you think. In fact, by the end of this, he calls their ways wicked. Can you imagine? See, I'm beginning to get it though, right? We, we don't find our merits in our, in our piety, in the alms that we give, the prayers of the day. We, we won't find it by our reputation or the, the church that we went to, how many times we went to church in the last year. In fact, it was Billy Sunday, you might remember, the great baseball evangelist who once said this. He said, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going into a garage makes you a car. Peter tells us, God, he says, what you failed to see is this Jesus who you killed is your only way to eternal life. 
Verse 19, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that you would find refreshment, refreshing times in the presence of the Lord. And let me just ask you, what could be more refreshing than letting go of all those days trying to earn it and work for it and finally just rest in the presence of Jesus Christ? Reminds me of that classic hymn, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. None other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Dallas Willard in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, spent quite a bit of time with that word repent. You know, as I've shared before, like that's a churchy word that's loaded with a lot of baggage. I know that. Maybe it even comes off as harsh and yet there is Peter saying it to God's people. Well, I think Dallas helps us understand this. You know, as a child, he says he grew up in southern Missouri where electricity was really only available in the form of lightning. And he said he quite literally grew up on this farm without even a comprehension of what electricity was. But in his senior year of high school, the Rural Electrification Administration extended its lines into his area and went right in front of his house. And Willard said when those lines finally were constructed, an entirely different way of life presented itself. This is what he wrote. He said, our relationships to fundamental aspects of light, daylight and darkness, clean and dirty, work and leisure, preparing food and preserving it would soon be vastly changed forever. But to get there, you had to put your trust in the electricity and its arrangements. You had to understand how it worked, take some practical steps to rely upon it. And Dallas said repentance is kind of like that. It's a turning. Repent for the kingdom of electricity is at hand. Turn from your kerosene lamps and your lanterns, your ice boxes and your cellars, your scrub boards, your hand sewing machines, or remain in status quo. And I'm sure at some point the analogy breaks down, but just stay with me. The power that could make life infinitely better was right before the people. All a farmer needed to do was trust in it, call upon it, and benefit. And yet Willard says it's, it's odd. Many did not. They did not enter the kingdom of electricity. See, Peter wraps up his sermon in similar fashion in verse 26. He says, but God having raised up his servant sent you to him first. Sent him to you, I should say, first to bless you by turning you every one of you from your wickedness. In other words, what you think you have, the the system of rules, the the endless sacrifice, these roots of being children of Abraham, um, you don't need another miracle. You need the author who is Jesus Christ. You know, I want to reiterate what you heard last Sunday from Brian. and That is that this this miracle of this man suddenly on its feet, it, it leaves us with all kinds of questions, right? Like, why did he sit suffering at the gate for his entire life long? Or what about the others in the crowd who didn't receive the blessing and the miracle? Why were some made well and others not? The fact is, we don't know. But here's what we do know. The point of that miracle was to get our attention. It was God's way of confirming the authority of these apostles so that they would then speak the word of Christ into the lives of his people. And make no mistake, Peter gets entirely out of the way and does just that. And they all stood in awe 
as this man clung to these apostles, hoping for who knows what next, the real miracle, the everlasting miracle, was an invitation to put your faith in the only one who saves us. And I don't know what that stirs in you, but here's what that stirs in me. It causes me to ask, Ryan, where do you put your roots? Hear me, this is not a rhetorical question, right? This is not a, a pastor cliche from the pulpit. This is a life-saving, life-transforming kind of question. Where are you rooted? Are you rooted in God's word? Or are you living like Israel in your own human-made assumptions of who Jesus is? Are you rooted in him? Are you rooted in Christ? Or, or do you believe that going to church and living in your own power and piety, that's enough? Are you rooted in repentance and refreshment therein? Or are you trying again to escape in what you know are the trappings of this life? I think Peter's words were just as prophetic then as they are now. Repent then. Turn to God that your sins might be wiped out. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord. That he would send the Messiah who has been appointed for us. Let's ask God to check our roots together this morning. Will you pray with me? God, we confess that inside of us, all of us is a propensity to turn and go our own way. We, like sheep, are easily distracted, Lord. We so quickly fall off the, the, the path. And yet, Lord, where can we go but to return to you? For in Christ, we have the author of life. In Christ, we see miracles upon miracles. In Christ, we have salvation. And by no other name do we discover such refreshing bliss. So Lord, we thank you this morning. We thank you that you did not just send Jesus so that he would get us or that he would meet with us or that he would be an example to us. But Lord, we know that in Christ you save So God, we do, we turn to you this morning. We long for the, the kingdom of heaven. God, we ask that you would, this day, keep our roots in Jesus' name. Lord, that all that we say, all that we do, all that we think, all that we pray about, all that we meditate on all week long would be rooted in Jesus' name. God, help us to do that this week. And all God's people said,